0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: Want to know what's going on in your neck of the woods and learn the history and the people behind the events that you love across the state? Get to know the real Mississippi. Check out MPB Think Radio's Next Stop Mississippi podcast on all platforms or on the MPB public media app. Welcome to Autocorrect, helping you correct your auto problems. Our host is Coach Charlie Melton, ASC Certified Master Technician. I'm Jermaine Flood. Hey, Coach Charlie. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing good today. How is your Thursday before the new month going?
2: (laughs) It has been a very exciting (laughs) month and it's almost over and I am ready to hit August.
1: It is. It is. So do you have any maybe late summer travel plans in, in in the works? Well, may go to Atlanta to a couple of things, but no really big plans right now. Okay. Is it a drive trip? Are you driving to Atlanta? No, going to fly. Okay. <laughs> it's quicker. <laughs> <laughs> the car guru does use planes as well, everyone. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and today he's here and we're talking about Do-It-Yourself Repairs Part 2. We wanted to run that back, didn't we, Coach Charlie? We did because we had
2: uh, so much stuff to get to last time. We just didn't get it all, so we're going to have a retake.
1: Right. And it's good to be able to figure out what you can do yourself so that you can save money.
2: Well, I think doing it yourself and saving money A lot of times people say, well, I can do it myself, and they start getting into more than they can do, and now it costs them money.
3: Mm -hmm. So you
2: got to be really uh, vigilant of what you can do and what you can't do. All
4: right.
1: Be aware of it. Don't bite off too much. That's right. (laughs) Our email address for questions is auto at mpbonline.org. So basically, DIY means that instead of hiring a professional to do a particular task, or instead of buying goods from a store or an artisan, you're choosing to do that task or create those products yourself rather than paying a professional or somewhere else to do it for you. But Coach says we need to watch which ones that we're going to be choosing to do ourselves. if (laughs) If you think about it, technicians get paid on this thing called flat rate.
2: Yeah. The book tells you it takes four hours to do this job. That technician's going to get paid four hours if it takes him an hour. Mm. If it takes him six hours, mm. he's still going to get paid that four hours. Right. So when you start getting into a job and maybe it's a bigger job than you think, it may be wise to sit back and reanalyze and say, hey, Maybe I need to take it somewhere because especially if it's internal engines, if you're doing something internal, Mm -hmm. even timing belts today or water pumps, you know, most water pumps now on these smaller cars, you have to remove the timing belt. And if you remove the timing belt Mm -hmm. and you do not get it tying back up, it's called an interference engine. Yeah. You just messed that engine up.
1: The whole engine. So you
2: need to be very careful. You need to have some type of mechanical ability
1: in order to do some of these tasks. Right. You're right about that. You are right about that. Well, we'll be talking about tires, whether or not I can rotate them myself. (laughs) We'll also be getting into maybe some battery cables, cabin filters, um, fluids, wipers, coolants. We'll talk about all of those as it relates to DIY. But right now we're going to go to our phone lines. We've got Johnny and Liberty. Tea. He has a comment or a question about a 2003 Toyota Land Cruiser. Johnny, you're on with Coach Charlie.
0: Good morning, Coach Charlie, and thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I have a 2003 Toyota Land Cruiser, and I'm having some trans- transmission problems with it. Um, when I crank it and drive it in the mornings and drive it into work, shifts all the way into overdrive, perfectly fine. And then if I uh, try to pass someone or it goes up a hill, and it downshifts into, uh, I guess, fourth gear, it will not go back into overdrive. It will sit there and just sit in fourth gear, and if you get it back to act proper, uh, I have to pull the car over on the side of the road, cut the car off, and then crank it back up, and it drives fine. And um, it's been doing that probably about six months. I just recently had to replace the engine in it uh, because of my own knuckleheadedness, nothing the engine did. And uh, so it's a new engine, but same transmission, uh, and we're just trying to trace, chase gremlins out. So I don't know if you had heard of this before or just looking for any and all advice. Well, let
2: me ask you a question. Was it doing it before you put the engine in?
0: It was not, no, sir.
2: Okay, so this is what I'm telling you here is that a lot of times the torque converter on these, and it sounds like a torque converter issue here, or a shifting I- issue here, maybe a solenoid. What would you do? have you put a scan tool on the uh, uh, data link connector yet? Have you put a scan tool on the vehicle?
0: No, sir. I have not. I I, I have kind of just went by with it and just drive it slow and don't put it in cruise. So I haven't done anything. If it's something that I need to take it to a a mechanic, then that's what I will do. So okay. All first.
2: On that thing, the first thing i would do is put a scan tool on it and see if there's any codes in that vehicle related to transmission because there will be one talking about shifting. If it will not shift, there will be a code that comes up and talks about shifting. Okay, when the engine was put in, maybe something got moved on the transmission because they do have uh, shift solenoids on those, and they do have uh, sensors on the outside of it, and that engine and transmission has to work together, and if the engine is not to what the transmission sees, it will not let that transmission shift correctly Mm. because they work together as of how much load is on that engine. Yes, so what the uh, first thing I would do is go ahead and get a scan tool put on it, see what kind of codes are in there, and go from there. Because it sounds like it may just could be a shift in solenoid, or it could be something to do with that torque converter.
0: Right. Well, that is what I will do. Thank you so much for your guidance.
1: Okay, thank you. Thanks, Johnny, for giving us a call. You know how to work them. You know how to work them. <laughs> um, coach, I, I want to get... To our next phone caller, we've got Shelly in Gulfport. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about DIY as it relates to maybe trying to replace sensors. Is that a DIY option that we can use or do?
2: Well, when we start replacing sensors, you know, you can throw a lot of money at a car. Yeah, And if you think a problem is this problem, when those codes come up on that vehicle and it says it has all of these codes, well, one code could have made all those other codes come up. Mm-hmm. And you may have a camshaft sensor, you may have a crankshaft sensor, you may say it's running lean or it's running rich. Now, all of those things you need to take in diagnosic to the one particular sensor first. So that's the first thing you'll do if you're going to get you a code reader or some kind of scan tool. Now, understand that a scan tool or a code reader, all it does is tell you what is happening. Mm -hmm. It's not telling you the problem. You know, so if it says that cylinder number one is missing, well, you need to figure out why cylinder number one's missing. If it's a spark plug, is it a coil? If it's an intake leak, or is it... So you need to sort of figure out why. Don't start throwing parts. And I'm going to give you a story about somebody throwing parts at a vehicle in a few minutes, <laughs> and because you can throw a lot of parts and money. So when you start getting these sensors, a lot of these sensors are easy to replace, uh-huh. but they're you know there's some of them are in some high, hard spots. You can't see them. They're in back. They're like on back of the engine, and you can't really get back on the back of the engine. So you need to sort of know what you're doing. But first thing, get a scan tool. Make sure you know what sensors are in there. And what it's talking about.
1: The reason why I asked, because we had an email come from Beth Mahaffey that says, How often do knock sensors go bad after being replaced? She has a 2019 Tucson that the sensor had to be replaced and was told it's rare for it to happen again.
2: Knock sensors, if you understand what a knock sensor is, a knock sensor determines if that vehicle is in time. Mm-hmm. If it hears noise, <coughs> excuse me. If that knock sensor hears noise, it works off vibration. So if it hears noise, what it'll do, it will change the timing on the vehicle to get it back where it's supposed to be. Okay. But those knock sensors are a lot of them are under the intake manifold. You got to remove the whole top of the engine to get to it. Okay. So it's really not something somebody could do on those type of sensors. So once again, knowing what the sensor does,
1: where it's located. Do right. you have enough time and do you have enough skill to do it? Right. So th- do you find that they go bad often or it's very rare? I have changed several knock sensors. And once again, anytime you're
2: changing an engine, I would replace the knock sensor because it's there. Okay. Um, so but they don't go bad too often.
1: OK, OK, OK. Well, that answers it. Beth, I hope that helped. We're going to head to the phone lines. We've got Shelly in Gulfport. Shelly, you're on with Coach Charlie.
4: Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. We have a 2004 Toyota Matrix. It has just over 300,000 miles on it. In November of last year, the transmission went out. We had it replaced, and they put a used transmission in. Within a week, the check engine light came on. We took it back several times, and they used an OBD scanner to reset it. The check engine light continues to come on. It may last a day or two, but it it will come back on. We have an OBD scanner and routinely check and reset it. The error code that we receive is P0741, and it says torque converter clutch solenoid circuit performance or stuck off. DTC severity two of three. Repair immediately if drivability issues are present. Threat to essential system components if not repaired as soon as possible. I am driving the vehicle. It's working just fine. But I wanted to know, is there a fix or do we just have to live with it?
2: Okay, what they did, when you put the used transmission in it, they probably didn't replace the, the torque converter, and the torque converter is what controls the contr- the fluid pressure going through that transmission. It does have a solenoid in there. It is a lock-up type of transmission. That, that's, that means that at a certain speed, it freewheels, and at a certain speed, it locks together. And a torque converter is a tri-level component. Uh, it has... a It's it's several different components that, that make up that torque converter, and most likely you're not getting as good as gas mileage because it may be locking up or being unlocked when it should be locking up, so really it's going to affect your gas mileage, and sooner or later, if it doesn't get fixed, you may have a problem with the vehicle shifting because of pressures.
4: Okay. I'm going to let my husband hear it on the playback so he can interpret all of what you said. That's how you do it, Shelly.
1: Just play it back for him. (laughs) Shelly, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Just play it back for him. Let the husband hear it from what you said, Coach, and everything will be all right. (laughs) Right. And like I say,
2: just... um, if it's some type of problem that's internal of that transmission, it should be fixed. But, you know, there are still noise or some type of sensors that are outside of that transmission. So it's just according to what that scan tool and
1: exactly what it may be. Okay, okay, okay. Well, that makes sense. If you've got a question, you can send your emails to auto at mpbonline.org. We're talking about do-it-yourself repairs part two and is your car under recall? I'll tell you how you can find out next. You're listening to AutoCorrect with Coach Charlie Melton. I'm Jermaine Flood. If you want even more AutoCorrect, find the podcast on all podcast platforms for your smart device everybody listens to the podcast and the Saturday replay. Autocorrect is heard on MPB Think Radio Thursdays at 10 a.m. with a replay Saturdays at 11 a.m. Couple of quick recalls I wanted to get into. Um, Nissan recalls some 66,000 Leaf EVs over unintentional acceleration. Now that's kind of scary. Effective vehicles include model year 2018 to 2023 Leaf EVs. Um, The vehicle control module software may cause sustained engine torque or unintentional acceleration if a driver's Switches driving modes, for example, from drive to eco, and then applies and releases the accelerator pedal within eight seconds after turning off cruise control. Unintentional acceleration, of course, may increase the risk of a crash. To resolve the issue, dealers will reprogram the vehicle control module for free. Um, Owners will be notified August 30th, but those with more questions can contact the dealer.
2: That's kind of scary, Coach. Well, I was thinking on the uh, acceleration, maybe it's a uh, mat. You know, you don't go back to Toyota. They, they, all I was saying it was the driver's side mat. Oh, on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here it was the, uh, the, uh, computer, so maybe, we're, right. maybe we have we learned something since uh, right. Toyota had it. Right, that's kind of
1: scary. <laughs> to know it's just going, it's just going to go faster. That's right, it's going to go faster. Okay, this one hits close to home for me now, Coach, and um, I probably am going to go take my car to get it recalled. I've, 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 I found my recall. Two hundred and twenty-seven thousand plus Mazda threes, CX threes are recalled for the backup camera, and I'll tell you my story in a minute. But um, affected vehicles include model year 2014 to 2018 Mazda 3 hatchbacks and model year 2016 to 2021 CX-3 SUVs. That's me. The backup camera image may not display properly. That's me. Instead of showing a flickering or distorted image, um, instead and it shows those images that can reduce the driver's rear view, increasing the risk of a crash. To fix the issue, dealers will inspect and replace the backup camera as necessary. They'll also... Install a wiring harness fastening seal. Seal, yep. Both repairs will be done for free. Um, Mazda will begin notifying owners September the twelfth, but I notified myself um, today. <laughs>
2: but I was going to let you know you have a backup system on that vehicle. You didn't know that, did you? No. What does that mean? Two outside mirrors and a rearview mirror, so you can see back. Okay. Thank you. Coach.
1: <laughs> I knew you was going to do that.
4: I knew you were going to do that to me.
1: I I knew you're gonna do that to me. They made those look. They made the rearview windows tiny. They're a little bit smaller. Purposefully, so um, that I have to use the camera somewhat. Well, just, but I look good out there when I back up, coach, and I I, I look like I know what I'm doing. You're doing good, doing even though that. I'm using the camera. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for some reason, um, in in rain situations, I can't see out that back. Um, Sometimes the rain does get in the way, but it has a grainy look to it, and it's hard to see.
2: That's what they're talking about, the distortion in it, and most likely they're going to either replace the camera itself or the system that is reading the camera.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, there's my recall. But that is a recall. That is a recall, and it includes me. (laughs) That's right. You can find out if your car is a past recall by going to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's website, nhtsa.gov forward slash recalls, and inputting your VIN number, or you can find their safer car app. We're talking about do it yourself repairs part two. And we're also taking your vehicle vehicle. I'm gonna get it out coach repair questions. Our email address is auto at mpbonline.org. Okay, so a couple of things. And then we're going to go to the phone lines. We've got Bob and Gulfport. We've also got Teresa in Gulfport on the line waiting. But coach, I wanted to double back around to throwing parts at a car. You mentioned that.
2: Uh, well, you know, a lot of people throw parts and it's not and it's not fixed. Okay. You know, a lot of people say, Well, I'm throwing money into it yeah. and it's not the problem. Yeah. Well you see that every day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when you you know, I got a story where we had I know a guy, his son got onto a vehicle, it's a F two fifty, it has a diesel engine in it. And well his son thought something was wrong with it, so he pulled the injector, broke the injector, so we don't even know if the injector is bad. Yeah. Uh, pulled the torque converter. I mean the turbo. Don't know the turbo is bad, (laughs) now it's going to cost several thousand dollars to see what's wrong with the vehicle and fix it, but it has to be put back together before somebody can see what's wrong with it. Mm. And the guy called me and told me it's going to cost like $3,000. He's even thinking about putting another engine in it, but yet he don't know what's wrong with the vehicle. Right. So when you don't know what you're doing and you're not really comfortable Take
1: to somebody who does. Yeah, make sure you get it out. That's when
2: you talk about do it it yourself is not
1: the right way to go. DIY is going to put you under. That's right. Don't don't DIY that one. Make sure you you check in all of that. And stop throwing parts at a car.
2: That's it. You know,
1: I'd do better just to throw a bottle of oil at it physically. (laughs)
2: That's right. Let it bounce off.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. So, you know, um, here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting, you can... Send us a donation through, through your vehicle. You can donate your vehicle. My mother has done it before to the agency. Um, if you have an old vehicle that you no longer want and you want to donate it to MPB, you can. Well, we have um, cars that have been donated to MPB that are amazingly um, running, that were uh, had a lot of mileage on them. And that included the 2004 Pontiac Vibe with 362,000 miles on it, which is also aka known as the Toyota Matrix, right, Coach?
2: Well, they were both made in uh, California. You know, Toyota and General Motors gets together, you know, a lot of these different manufacturers get together and they collaborate and they put their engines or transmissions and some of their bodies almost look exactly the same, Yeah, but they'll call them... General Motors, or they call them Toyota, right? But right, they're the same vehicle.
1: But for both of them, the Toyota Matrix and the Pontiac Vibe, to go at least three hundred sixty-two thousand miles—that's pretty impressive.
2: <laughs> well, you th- you think about a Toyota. I got a Toyota right now with three hundred eighty-four thousand miles mm-hmm. on it. It's a Camry. Okay, and it's a two-thousand model, still going.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was okay. I know I know which ones get high mileage. That's right. I know which ones get high mileage. If you want to donate your vehicle, visit our website, mpbonline.org. For more information, we're going to go to the phone lines. We've got Bob in Gulfport on the line. Bob has a question about a 2004 Mazda Tribute V6. Bob, you're on with Coach Charlie.
0: Uh, hi, Coach. I certainly appreciate you uh, making, making your wisdom available. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, for about the last nine, 12 months, I've had a really rough idle. Uh, and you were talking about, uh, uh, people throwing parts at it. I've been to, uh, probably three or four guests and replace mechanics, uh, that just replace parts and still isn't fixed. Uh, the, um, the rough idle is, it's only after it heats up and, and, uh, it's a rough idle for like 30, Fifteen to forty-five seconds, and and then it'll smooth out. And I haven't been able to figure out what it is. Uh, they they put a uh, scanner on it, and uh, I got P 402 EGR excessive. Well, I, I mentioned guessing replaced. I've already had two new EGR valves put on it, and it still isn't fixed. So it used- might happen.
2: If you start thinking about the EGR, and a lot of times people don't understand what that is, that's the EGR opens up when you're driving down the highway at cruising speed. And as it opens up, it takes all the exhaust, and what it does, it cools the engine back down because what is uh, at a high temperature or the engine produces a gas called NOx. And what that EGR does, it puts it back in the exhaust back into the engine, cools the engine down so you don't produce that gas. Okay. Now, if they said they've already placed the EGR valve, okay, so you got an EGR valve, you got an EGR solenoid, okay, and a lot of times that's on top of the uh, EGR itself if they're electronic. And then you have EGR, I would say, rails where the exhaust goes through. Okay, a lot of times it will say insufficient e g r flow okay, and what happens there is that maybe there's not the intake or where the uh e g r hoses and all come uh through the engine are stopped up a lot of times that has to be cleaned out, and that usually solves the insufficient e g r flow, but yours is saying you have too much e g r uh, I mean, that you have too much EGR. So that means that what it's doing, it is putting burnt gas back into those cylinders at that time and is not combustion all the way, okay, because you don't have enough clean air and oxygen and fuel in there because you're putting burnt gas back in there. So what I
0: would look uh, at... Let me mention, by the way, uh, I've also cleaned the, um, uh, is it the idle air control? The idle air control, water? right. I've, I've cleaned that out. And I, I cleaned the um, MAF or MAF Mass airflow sensor. Yeah, I've cleaned that too, and and that didn't fix it either. Okay, so uh,
2: on that situation, what I would do if they've already put an EGR valve on there, I would check that EGR solenoid because the EGR
0: solenoid is what controls the EGR valve. Could it be that I I pretty much know what you're talking about there? And there's two wires going to it. Could could i coming from some sensor, I guess, an oxygen sensor or something. Is, is there, could there be something wrong with the sensor or the, the signal coming to it?
2: Well, the oxygen sensor itself, all of that's telling the engine if it's running rich or lean. That's what the oxygen sensors do. Tell the vehicle if, it's, if it has enough gas or it does not have enough gas. That's what, the, that's what the upper oxygen sensor does. I would go, first of all, I think I would check the... EGR solenoid, because that is what's opening and closing that solenoid. I mean, open and closing that EGR valve.
0: Yeah, and it controls it by vacuum, right?
2: Uh, Some of them are vacuum, and some are electronic, yes.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, I guess another guess in your place. (laughs) Do the solenoid now. (laughs) Well, I would check that and, like I say, uh,
2: just see if it has more than one code, but I would go to that next.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. Okay, well, thank you, sir. Yes, sir.
1: Bob, thank you so much. We're going to stay on the phone lines. We're going to Teresa in Gulfport. She has a question about a trans- transmission sensor. Teresa, you're on with Coach Charlie.
4: Oh, thank you for taking my call. My friend has a 2015 Nissan Sentra, and the scan code said there was something wrong with her transmission, and then when they uh, checked it, they pulled up a sensor, and the sensor was all burned up, so they replaced it. So she was thinking that she now needed to replace her transmission. But why would a transmission sensor burn
2: up? Well, you know, they're electronic. That's the first thing. They are electronic. And maybe that it shorted out, and that means that it had too much voltage going to it, too much amperage, and that would burn it. You know, really all that um, sensor is that it's a solenoid, and it's it just has a lot of uh, wire going around to make it open and close okay with electricity so if it got too much amperage it would burn that sensor up
4: okay so now that the sensors replaced she really doesn't need to replace the transmission
2: it's just a sensor oh no don't don't replace the transmission like i say if that sensor burn up you know uh shifts illinois uh those transmissions those uh, those sensors those transmissions those solenoids, they go out
4: all the time Oh, okay. Thank you so much for your help. You've been a great help. Okay, thank you. Thanks,
1: Teresa, for giving us a call. That was a good Gulfport call. Two Gulfports right. right back to back. Um We'll be down there soon for the uh, Cruise, Cruise on, on the, the Coast. Coast. Coach will be in person in Gulfport. Well, Biloxi. Uh, Gulfport. Yes, Gulfport. Our email address where you can send questions is auto at mpbonline.org We're talking about do-it-yourself repairs part two between your car repair questions. What's in the news? Why does your air conditioning need recharging? I'll tell you more next. Thank you for listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Coach Charlie Melton, retired instructor from Clinton High School's Automotive Technology Program, is our expert host. I'm Jermaine Flood. I hope you've downloaded the app for your smartphone. That's the MPB Public Media app. In addition to listening to the show on the app, you can click on the support button and make a contribution, or you can click on the record button and Ask Coach Charlie a question. Contributions help keep our programs on the air for you and others to enjoy. And your questions help keep Coach Charlie in the studio with us. So we want to thank you for your contribution and all your calls to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Autocorrect is heard on MPB Think Radio Thursdays at 10 a.m. with a replay Saturdays at 11 a.m. In the news... Why does your air conditioning need recharging? Well, I'll tell you now, but perhaps there's nothing more uncomfortable than being in a car on a hot summer day with warm air blowing out of the vents. That's me when the air conditioning system is turned on. And this could be occurring because the system is low on refrigerant and needs to be recharged or there is a leak somewhere. So um, why it needs to be recharged and why you need to maybe check that um, because we need to stay cool. <laughs> That's right. That would be the main reason. That would be the main reason. Um, but um, the the refrigerant, which at one time was referred to as Freon, can either be a liquid or a gas. And depending on where it is um, during certain phases of the cooling cycle, cycle, the refrigerant can circulate in a closed system, meaning it never leaks out and doesn't need to be added or serviced under normal circumstances. But if you're asking the question about this, things are probably not normal. So there are several main Main components in your car's air conditioning system, including the compressor, condenser evaporator, receiver, dryer, and expansion tube, and all are connected to each other through tubes or hoses, and each of those connections have seals that can leak. So this is why you need an AC recharge. Um, and when that leak occurs, the refrigerant will escape from the system and your air conditioning will no longer produce cold air. And if enough of that leaks out, the compressor won't even turn on because the refrigerant contains lubricant that is needed to help. Help keep the compressor from seizing. Well, when you
2: start talking about AC, especially if you're low or free on Freon. You do have a leak somewhere. It just doesn't evaporate. It's all uh, air conditioners are closed systems. Okay. And it does change from a liquid to gas. On the high side, it's one. And on the low side, it's another. So it does change. But the main thing is there's ways that you can check that even and do it yourself. On certain vehicles, there is a sight glass. It's called there, It has a dryer on it, and it's usually on the right side or by the radiator. Uh-huh. It has a sight glass. If it has bubbles in that sight glass... You're lower Freon. Okay. If it's just flowing and you see nothing, uh, no bubbles and just liquid going through, that means it's full. On Toyotas, if it's low, it will cool on one side of the car and will not cool on the other. Mm-hmm. On, on certain Toyotas, okay, on, on a lot of matter of fact, a lot of vehicles. If it's, low, I'm gonna drive in a passenger seat then. So you want to? Well, <laughs> it's usually cool on the right, on the passenger side, and warm on oh, the okay. driver's figures, side. Figures, figures. So what you need to do, you can look at that sight glass, but not all vehicles have that sight glass. Okay, and you need to know what type of freon it takes. If it's uh, the new uh, one two three uh, YC, elf uh, type of freon, mm-hmm. or if it's the uh, 134A.
1: They've got R12s, r one thirty four 134As, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's yeah. your
2: most common, but they are changing over to the new Freon, and in order to do that, you have to have gauges in order to put it in, and in order to test it and read the pressures.
1: Yeah, so they're calling that one an R1234YF, yeah. yeah, YF That's or something. A, mm-hmm. So, of course, you did mention the do-it-yourself, so... They're saying that there's also do it yourself charging recharging kits that are easy to find and aren't very expensive. Um they're saying they're typically under maybe $50 for a can of R134a refrigerant with the hose and the gauge attached. Um but have you used those do it yourself kits before coach? Uh no. Okay. I, I know I,
2: was, I know he people yourself I know people that have used them, <laughs> but the thing is you run a risk of putting too much freon in it because if you put too much freon in a car it will not cool as well.
1: Uh, okay, okay. You can get. Oh, you can go overboard. You can go overboard. Well, I'll include a link to this story in our podcast show description. We're talking about do-it-yourself repairs, part two. You can email questions to auto at mpbonline.org. We'll get back to a little bit more on DIY, but we're going to go to the phone lines. We've got Aaron in Memphis on the line. Aaron, you're on with Coach Charlie.
5: Thanks for taking the
1: call. All right. Thank you for calling.
5: Uh, so this is... A little out of the ordinary, I imagine. Um, I'm very, very fortunate. My job gave me a car to drive, uh, which means my pickup doesn't really move very often anymore. Um, I've got a battery conditioner on it just to make sure that the battery, you know, stays alive. Uh, but my question is: Is it better to take the battery? uh cable off and just leave the battery conditioner on and reconnect it whenever i drive it you know roughly every week or so like once a week or so um, or is it better to leave the conditioner on and the battery connected while uh, it's oh. just sitting there not being driven
2: yeah, I just leave that slow charge on there, that little uh, maintenance uh, battery uh, test you got on there. Just leave it on there, because what happens when you disconnect the battery, you kill everything in the vehicle. That means you got to reset your radio, some memory disappears, you know, so you, it's just better to leave it uh, on there, hooked up. It don't hurt anything. Okay. Uh, I
5: have one other question, if that's all
3: right.
5: mm-hmm. um, The... Uh, I've got a concern about, I've heard about people having vehicles that are stored for extended periods of time and rodents end up chewing the wiring harness, for example. Um, Is there something I can put under the hood or something I should do to prevent that from happening to my pickup?
2: Well, you know, if it's going to sit for a long period of time, you can put mothballs under that. That'll keep, um, you know... But rats and rodents don't like the smell of mothballs underneath the vehicle. You can put mothballs and you can put, because what happens, they really like, uh, for some reason, they like that insulation on those wires and they'll get right down and right. eat all that insulation off and they get some kind of little charge from the little electrical current coming through there. Mm. So they get, and they like that. But if I would put some mothballs in there and I think that would probably solve your problem. If it's going to be setting up for, uh, months, yes. But if it's setting up for weeks, they're not going to get in there in a week.
5: I, mean, I usually drive it once a week just to make sure that yeah. it's still okay. Right.
2: But. Make sure you don't have no food in there, uh, anything, because a lot of times the, if they smell food, they'll try to get in there and try to get in that vehicle. And you know, They can get in the cab uh, through the rubber. They can eat through the rubber. There's places that they can get through, mm-hmm. so you want to be careful. Make sure there's nothing in there that they, they won't eat. All right.
5: Well, yeah. I really appreciate it, uh, and uh, it's worth I love listening to the show so thank you guys for listening it's worth everything everything. Aaron Thank
1: thank you so much for giving us a call coach let's talk let's piggyback off of Aaron a little bit Is there, I want to talk about DIY as it relates to batteries and battery cables and things like that. Tell us a little bit about how we can DIY those. Well, there's
2: a good thing there. As you're talking about the battery, Eric has his vehicle sitting up. Uh, Corrosion could build up on that battery, and you need to make sure that corrosion comes off of it. And once again, you're going to, if you take the battery. Post off the cables off. You're going to lose the uh, memory, but you can get a memory saver and put on the battery as well, and it would save everything in your uh, car. Okay. But as a cleaning the battery, you know a lot of people will say, "Well, I'm going to pour coke on it." Yeah, that's and the old adage. Well, the first thing you pour coke on it, now you got it all sticky, and you got uh, <laughs> you got you know, sugar
1: on your battery. <laughs>
2: well, you think what uh, coke is acid? Has a lot of yeah, acid in yeah, it, so. Yeah battery is acid, yeah. and so you're pouring acid on acid. Uh, the best way to clean a battery, if you want to clean it and you want to get, uh, make sure that it's clean, take some baking soda and water, mix a paste on it, put it on the battery cables, and that will clean them. But if you want to do it quick, uh, there's a tip I can give you. is just, while your vehicle's running get you a bottle of water, Uh and pour it on those battery terminals real slow. Uh It will take all of that corrosion off, and they'll turn back copper. They'll come back. They'll be shiny. Like new. Like new. Just pour it (laughs) out. Don't just pour it out real fast. Take the bottle while the vehicle is running. And pour it on there very slow, and it will get rid of all of that corrosion.
1: Come on, Coach, with the baking soda and the bottle of water while the car running.
2: It'll take care of and it. And the mothballs. Now, the uh, baking soda, you're going to do that with the car not running, the okay. baking soda and water. that man, What that does, that neutralizes the acid as well. Okay. But when you're pouring the water on it, it may not neutralize the acid, but it will clean those cables, and they won't be corroded.
1: Okay. Okay, well, that's a good DIY it yourself tip. That's a good one. I'm going to go back to the phone lines. We've got Ben and Jackson on the line. He has a question about what to do with a parked vehicle before trying to start it. Ben, you're on with Coach Charlie. Yeah,
0: I guess I am piggybacking this conversation. <laughs> uh, I've got a, a 96 Bronco that's been sitting for about a year. Um, obviously, I'm going to have to replace the battery, but what do I need to do before I go out there and try to crank it so I don't damage
2: well, the first thing you need to do is make sure that the fuel you got in there, because fuel over time it goes bad. If you ever had a line more and you had fuel in it, it goes bad. Yeah. It, it'll be a real strong smell. Make sure you get good fuel in there. Uh, I would change. Go ahead and change the fuel filter if it's not in the tank. Go ahead and change that fuel filter, and then make sure you have good oil in there and good coolant, and crank it up. Mm. You know, you don't you don't have to really do a whole bunch, but the main thing is that fuel.
0: Can you buy? I mean, before I guess I should have looked before I asked, but can can you ice it out of the tank and put clean gas in it? Is that is that a is, is that the way to do that? Or sure, I don't, or sure I you can. Drop
2: it? No, you can do okay. another way. You can do that. You can siphon it out of the tank, or you can even disconnect the lines at the fuel uh, filter and turn the key on and let it come out that way as well. But it's going to be easier to get it out of the tank by siphoning it out. Now, okay, thank you, sir. You don't have to get it all out, but you want to get like ninety percent of it out. Put you some good strong gas in there, and uh, make sure that uh, as you get that strong gas in there, you can crank that vehicle up. And it may take a little while to get it running smooth, but it will get all that bad gas out if there's gas in there.
0: Oh, uh, one last question: Is it worth pouring a little oil down on the you know into the the, you know what I mean on the through the the fill hose through the fill nozzle you know before I try to crank it or um, or just get it changed.
5: Tell it to stop and
2: have it changed or something. Well, the oil—if you—you you probably need to change the oil. I would change the oil if it's not been cranked up for a while because once again, it con—it condensates the water all in there. Condensates, so you will have a little liquid in there.
1: So you want to make sure you get all that out. Okay, right. thank. you. All right, thank you, Ben, for giving us a call. We're discussing do-it-yourself repairs part two and taking your repair questions. You can send us emails to auto at mpbonline.org. We've got a new car review from Casey Williams coming up and Coach's tip of the week. This is AutoCorrect on MPB
3: Think Radio. Here's a new car review from Casey Williams. It's Auto Casey on AutoCorrect. If you're looking for a compact pickup truck that's up for adventure, we have the perfect one this week. It's the 2023 Nissan Frontier Pro 4X. The Pro 4X is the one that's really geared towards off-roading. This has the Bilstein shocks, has the off-road tires, it's got the electronically rear-locking differential, it's got the two-speed transfer case for the four-wheel drive system, everything you need to do some pretty serious off-roading. It's also pretty luxurious, inside you've got heated seats, you've got the touchscreen, screen, Fender audio, and a full suite of crash avoidance systems. Underneath the hood, a 3.8 liter V6 delivers 310 horsepower, connects to the four-wheel drive system through a nine-speed automatic transmission. Pretty smooth on the highway, plenty of power to pass if you need to, and just works well whether you're in city traffic or out on the highway. Fuel economy is not bad for a truck with this capability. 17 miles per gallon in the city, 22 on the highway. So you're wondering what it's going to cost. Well, the Frontier starts just under $30,000. This one all in, $46,380. See the full video on his YouTube channel. Auto Casey and listen to AutoCorrect on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel.
1: This is AutoCorrect if you've missed any of our program you can listen to the whole show from autocorrect.mpbonline.org AutoCorrect is heard on MPB Think Radio Thursdays at 10 a.m. with a replay Saturdays at 11 a.m. Stay tuned after the show at 11 a.m. at Southern Ribbony Kids and Teens. I'm Jermaine Flood and our expert is Coach Charlie Melton ASC Certified Master Technician and now it's time for Coach Charlie tip of the week
2: you know we've been talking about do it yourself and once again uh, several callers got on there throwing money at a car we talked about throwing money or parts at a car mm-hmm. there's a lot of places out there today that will not diagnose your vehicle but they will throw parts at it until they find out what's wrong with it so make sure once again you take it to a reputable dealer or a
1: mechanic that you know to make sure they're just not throwing parts at the car. Make sure you do that. No just throwing parts. Don't start unhooking it and you can't rehook it. That's right. <laughs> We're going to go to the phone lines one last time. We've got Eric and Jackson. He's got a question about sticking brakes. We're going to try to help you figure it out. Eric, you're on with Coach Charlie.
0: Hey, how you doing, Coach Charlie? Doing great. <laughs> yeah, I got a 93 Mustang, and My front brakes, they stick and I took my calibers off. So I may be able to grease the rods, put it back on, but both of them still stick it. It's putting a strain on my, on my clutch. How so,
2: can I solve that? Well, the thing is, uh, it's most unusual, but it could happen. Those brake lines on it, you say this is a 93 Mustang?
0: Yeah. Okay, right.
2: you have a rubber brake line going into a metal brake line. Those rubber brake lines deteriorate from the inside. They do not deteriorate from the outside. So what could happen, I've seen this happen many times, is what happens, you push on the brake, you let off the brake, and you go, and your vehicle sticks, okay? What has happened is that rubber from the inside of those brake lines have deteriorated and got stuck in the lines going back up to the master cylinder. Mm. You can push it down, and it goes fine because you're pushing, with the brake pedal, you're pushing that liquid down. But when you take your foot off of it, the fluid has to come back up in the master cylinder so the brakes release. If there's anything in that line it's not going to release completely.
0: Okay, so it, it'll, it'll make both brakes stick at the same time?
2: If, that's what I'm saying, if you have something going into the main line going up to the master cylinder.
0: Okay, the mail. Oh yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying.
2: You want to check that, you know, and like I say, they deteriorate from the inside, they do not
1: deteriorate from the outside.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the next thing I'm going to check. That's wow. what I'll, I'll appreciate it. Yes,
1: sir. We appreciate you. you, Eric. I hope that wh- helps. Sticking brakes and and um, torque out of nowhere is scary to me. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the two things you don't want to happen while you're driving. You, so. don't, you don't want it to accelerate when you don't want it to accelerate and you want it to stop when you want, want it to, to stop, stop. Right. That's, <laughs> that's very important to check. Coach, let's, let's go back to our DIY. So maybe we can talk about about a little bit maybe DIY as it relates to tires and tire pressure?
2: Well, the thing is, um, I had somebody call me the other day, and it said the TPS uh, light was on, and that's a tire pressure monitoring system. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you can rotate your tires if... They do not have separate monitors for that TPSM system. Okay. Because if you put the left tire on the right, now when it says that the left tire is low, well, really now you got it on the right. Right. So you got to be careful about that.
1: That's a computer okay. thing. Okay. That's yeah. a
2: computer thing. Once again, but if you have ones that are just where it just checks them all and doesn't tell you the tire where it's at the location you can check those you want to check those tire pressures the tire pressure is on the left door you open the door mm-hmm. and you'll see a placard right there and it will give you the tire pressure of your vehicle
1: okay
2: front and rear is usually different okay okay you want to make sure now on a lot of these vehicles when your tire pressure monitoring light comes on they're checking your spare tire as well so make sure that you rotate that spare tire in the system of the other four wheels. Okay. That way it's used, and that means that you now have a brand new tire that dry rotted in the back mm-hmm. because you never used it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
2: you want to do that?
1: Yeah. No rotation for all-wheel drive, right? You don't rotate. You just replace all of those. No,
2: there's all you you can re- rotate every tire.
1: Okay. Now
2: there are some that are directional. That means that they only go one direction you're going to make sure that tire is going the right direction. It has an arrow on the wheel to tell you on the tire itself
1: which way it's supposed to be rotating. Okay. Next week, DIY Part 3. (laughs) <laughs> yes. We'll type on some more. We'll That's talk right. about maybe some cabin filters, fluids, wipes, coolants. We'll right. we'll get on top of that. That'll wrap us up for today's Autocorrect. Our crew engineer, Abram Nanny, call screener, Java Chapman, and Liz Gill. For Coach Charlie Melton, master technician, I'm Jermaine Flood. Thanks for listening to Autocorrect on MPB Think Radio.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.